And so uh, let's all turn in our Bibles this morning. We're going to be in Mark's Gospel. We're going to be in chapter 14, looking at verses 53 to 72. I titled this morning's message, The Arrest and the Denial. And let's open in prayer. Father, I thank you uh, for this time to gather together as a body of Christ. Lord, we sit in awe of you this morning, just of who you are. We, we come and we worship you for who you are, for what you have done, what you've accomplished. And even as we open up the Word of God this morning and we look, Lord, at this trial, uh, this denial of Peter, Lord, we can only, as your followers, we can only look at this and just be so thankful for your grace, so thankful for your mercy, and, and so thankful that you went all the way to the cross and you, you did that for me. You did that for each one of us that know you as Lord and Savior. You shed your blood so that we might live. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that the reality of our salvation, Lord, as we go over these next few weeks looking, Lord, all the way to the resurrection, Lord, that we would be filled with the hope of knowing you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday, we ended with Jesus being arrested in the garden. This mob of possibly 600 religious leaders and soldiers, temple mount guards that came there, they came with, with swords and clubs to arrest Jesus there in the garden. Judas Iscariot leading the pack. Coming up to Jesus and giving Him that kiss and, and marking Him out as the one whom they would arrest. It's at, it was at night time. It was, it, it was just, just that whole scene of Jesus there as He prayed and, and, and even as He was teaching His disciples and showing them the weakness of their flesh as they, they couldn't even keep their eyes open for an hour as the Lord prayed. We're told, and we learned last week, that when they came and arrested Jesus, that the disciples were told in verse 50, they forsook Him and they fled. Jesus had told them that they would do this. He said that they, uh, that they would flee. He, he knew what they would do. But if you remember that it was just that evening, as they, as they left that upper room, as they were making their way to Gethsemane, that they had that conversation, and Jesus told them that they're going to strike the shepherd. And they, Peter being the first, began to, to say, we'll never deny you. We'll never leave you. We'll never deny you. As a matter of fact, even Peter said, I'll die for you. And we're told that even the rest of them agreed. They said, we'll all die for you. And then just that same evening, here they are departing and fleeing from Him in fear. 
That night, this mob, we could call them, they, they led Jesus back into the city of Jerusalem. They took him to the house of Annas. Annas was the former high priest. Uh, he later would send Jesus over to Caiaphas, his son-in-law, who was the current high priest in the day. His time was now at hand. His hour had come. Things were beginning to move quickly now. And Jesus knew it, and He was focused on the cross. He knew what was coming. He had committed Himself into the hands of the Father. Not my will be done, but Your will. And He was ready to go. He was ready to go to the cross. You see, when they took Him from the garden that night, He went as a willing participant. They had swords and clubs ready to go at it with the disciples if they needed to. And He went with no resistance. Take me. Let's go. It's time. It's time to go to the cross. The time is late in the evening. They bring Jesus into the house of Annas. And they begin to question Him. They were looking for this opportune time to try and trap Jesus and to have Him destroyed. He comes into the presence of these religious leaders. We're told that the Sanhedrin was all there. That made up, uh, that was a, a group of 71 men that Jesus was standing before. That Sanhedrin made up, uh, was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and elders that made up this group. The high priest presided over all of these men. We might say that Jesus was standing before the grand jury on that day. You see, the Sanhedrin, this grand jury, uh, in that particular mode, they had a function, but that function was not to condemn somebody to death. That wasn't their job. You see, the Romans were in control of anything that had to do with death or the death penalty. This grand jury, they simply were there to really come up with what he might be convicted for. And then they would turn Jesus over to the Romans to actually execute that penalty that they were instructing, that they felt was worthy. And in this case, they believed that it was worthy of death. We read in John's Gospel in chapter 18, verse 13, It states here that that they led Jesus away to Annas first. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient, listen to this, it was expedient that one man should die for the people. He had it right. 
And quite often that was the case. Even those that were after our Lord quite often spoke truth. Later on in, in chapter 18, verse 24, it says, Then Annas sent Jesus bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. What's interesting is they kept him bound as if they needed to. He would have willingly just walked along with them. You don't need to handcuff me. You don't need to bind me. You know, just, I'm ready to go. It was this high priest who presided over these members, the Sanhedrin, this chief priest, uh, the chief priest, plural, that were in that midst. These Sadducees and these Pharisees, they were the experts in the law. These were the ones that should have known. These are the ones that knew their Bibles the best. They should have known. They should have known when their Messiah came. They should have known the signs to be looking for. And they were the ones that were going to condemn Him. There were elders in this council. These were respected men of the day. They also took part in this. But what's important to know about the Sanhedrin is that the only power they had really had to do with religious matters. They didn't have the authority nor the power to condemn somebody to death. They could bring the charges to the Romans, but that was their authority to do that. This Sanhedrin that was preparing this criminal charge against the Lord they were trying to find something that the Roman government would be in agreement with them on that they could have him be put to death. And how would you like to stand before a court that already had it in their mind, you're condemned to death already. We're just trying to find a reason that we can turn you over to the Romans and have that accomplished. This high priest had the responsibility for the rest of the Sanhedrin to follow some procedures within their court. According to the Mishnah, which was a, a collection of Jewish writings that gave the oral traditions and the laws to the nation of Israel, there were certain regulations that were written in that that they were to follow. One of those regulations had to do with the place in which the person that stood before the Sanhedrin, it even had to do with the meeting place. There was a meeting place that was attached up on the Temple Mount, close to the temple. It was called the Hall of the Hewn Stone. It was actually a, a meeting place. There's... Probably not exactly what it looked like, but it would have been something similar to what you see. Something we see similar in our courts today with our Senate and the House sitting there. The 71 seats, then Jesus standing before them. 
And on the other side of the room, the other seats that were there would have consider, uh, been consisted of, of uh, students and uh, other uh, men that would sit there that would actually just give testimony for the one that was standing before the Sanhedrin. They weren't allowed to get involved with saying or making any accusations against the one that stood there. They were simply there to learn and to give testimony of the one that was standing trial. This was happening in the house of Annas. It wasn't happening here in this place where under their own law, their own regulations, that's where Jesus should have been taken to. Maybe they wanted it to be in more of a a secret place, the way they were going to handle themselves that night. These students, these rabbis that were allowed only to speak on behalf of the accused were there that night and they probably had opportunity maybe to even make their comments. Some of the other restrictions that were, uh, they read and knew in their Mishnah was that the trial was not to be done at night. They were also not to do it during the time of one of the great feasts. Do you see anything happening here that's wrong? They were doing it anyway. They knew that it probably wasn't, and maybe that's why they're in Annas' house. You're not even during this. Remember, this is Passover. This is a time they shouldn't be meeting in that hall, wanting to condemn somebody to death. But you see, they wanted to do it quickly. They, they had their opportunity and they were not going to miss the opportunity before them. When witnesses were examined, it was to be done separately. They were to take each witness that came there and they were to examine them separately, beginning with the youngest to the oldest. If they determined that there was going to be a death penalty, uh, that something that they had done warranted death, they were supposed to let a 24-hour period elapse so that it might be a time where they might change their mind and extend mercy towards the one that stood before them instead of condemning them to death. We know that they had no intentions of doing that. But this council, they could not impose the death penalty. They had to ultimately find something that the Romans would agree with them upon that they could have Jesus put to death. Look at your Bibles at verse 53. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. And with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. We're told in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 22, verse 63, that that night, these religious leaders, they began to mock Jesus. They began to beat him. And having blindfolded Jesus, they struck him on the face and they asked Jesus saying, 
prophesy, Jesus. Who is the one who struck you? And we're told that many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. We're not even told everything that was said that night. How many times they slapped him in the face and beat upon him as he stood there bound before them. Not even giving up a fight. No one standing with him. He was alone before them. They ridiculed him and they mocked him that night. And while all this is going on, Peter is down below, sitting in the courtyard of Annas' house, warming himself by the fire. He's sitting, so to speak, out there with the world, isn't he? I could say this of Peter, at least he had the courage to come into the courtyard. But it tells us that he followed at a distance. He came into the courtyard and he sat that night warming himself because it was cold out. Warming himself by the fire. Jesus inside, standing before this Sanhedrin. Then Mark goes and inserts in verse 54. Look at your Bible. It's like he, 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 he reverts back now. He tells us, verse 53, that Jesus is led away to the, to the Sanhedrin. And then in verse 54, it says, but Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and he warmed himself with the fire. Mark saw fit that this is good timing to bring Peter back into the, 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 the picture that you have in your mind of what this looks like. Here's Peter in the courtyard. Here's Jesus in this house of Annas. Keep in mind that Peter may, himself may have been the one who gave the details of this night. He may have been the only one that really knew of each instance of his denial. I want you to think about that for a moment. The times that you have failed God in your walk. It's believed that Peter may have given Mark some of the details as he wrote the Gospel of Mark. He may have spoke of himself and his own failure as he gave some of the details of what he had done that night. How many of you has God used your testimony of failure? The times we've messed up, even as a Christian. And God was so gracious and merciful towards you. And then He allowed you to give that testimony of how gracious and merciful God was towards me when I failed and I messed up. Peter, I think he learned a valuable lesson that night. We also learn valuable lessons through our failures. Our failures even in faith. 
where we come short on faith and we, we doubted God. We didn't believe Him. Or maybe it was also from the other disciple that came that night. We read in John 18, verse 15, it tells us, and Simon Peter followed Jesus, and it tells us, and so did another disciple. Doesn't give a name. Most people believe it was John. Another disciple, and it says, now that disciple was known to the high priest, and he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Matthew tells us in verse chapter 26, verse 58, but Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and we're told this, he went in and he sat with the servants, and it tells us this, to see the end, to see what the outcome of this was going to be, to see what they were going to do to his Lord. But he was there in fear, in anxiety. He came, he had enough courage to come to that place, but he came there because he wanted to see the end. He knew this was serious. Just in the way they took him away. But now Jesus was standing before the Sanhedrin. The trial had begun. We read in verse 55, now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death. They already had it made up in their mind. This guy's worthy of death. But it, look what it says. But they found none. They, they, they approached it looking for a cause, looking for a reason, seeking testimony, but they found none. It's hard to, to really find something against someone that's perfect, isn't it? Someone who has never sinned. Someone who has never failed, but you've got to come up with something. In 1 Peter 2.21, we read this, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth, who when He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but committed Himself to Him who judges righteously, who Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. That right there tells us how our Lord stood before this Sanhedrin. All that sought to condemn Him and accuse Him, he didn't even open his mouth at times. He refused to even answer. He didn't fight back. He just simply committed himself to the Father into, into your hands. 
What an example we have. What an example for us to look to when we're going through difficult times in life. Look what our Lord did for us. Verse 56 says, For many bore false witness against Him. But look what it says, But their testimonies did not agree. They had all the the ones in there wanting to give testimony, trying to find reason. And even the false witnesses didn't agree with each other. Confusion in their midst. They were even having a hard time using false witnesses to find a reason to charge you. Verse 57 says, Then some rose up. And they they bore false witness again. They're getting agitated. They're saying, We heard Him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. We're thinking, we got Him. This is what we're looking for. We're looking for some testimony that will rile up the Romans. This one will do it. He's going to destroy this this temple, one of the the great works of Herod, as he expanded that whole temple mount, beautified the temple. The Romans won't stand for this. You see, they were almost like they were scraping the bottom of the barrel. They're looking for some way that they could accuse Him. Maybe it was somebody that overheard Jesus' words back in chapter 13. In chapter 13, verse 1, remember that Jesus won that on Tuesday He went out of the temple and one of His disciples said to Him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here? And Jesus answered and said, Do you see these great buildings? He says, Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Maybe somebody overheard those words as Jesus walked with His disciples that day. I heard Him say it. And you know, he's gonna, he's gonna, they're going to rise up. They're going to tear this thing down. And they were looking for some reason, some witness that would stand in that lie. You see, this alone could have been enough for the Romans. Every feast, they were ready. They, they brought more Romans in just to watch because they were always anticipating that these Jews are going to maybe rise up again. And they were watching closely. And any word of anyone wanting to come in and rise up and tear down anything that was Roman. It's not going to happen. This first court that Jesus would stand before, it was false witnesses that were there that were trying to agree with one another. But it says in verse 59, But not even then did their testimony agree. (laughs) 
It's like they're, they're foiling themselves in front of Jesus as He just stood there before them. In John 18, 19, we read that the high priest then asked Jesus about His disciples and His doctrine. This was something else that went on that night. And Jesus answered him and said, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always met. And in secret, I have said nothing, Jesus said. And so why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I've said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers that was standing next to Jesus, he struck Jesus with the palm of his hand saying, do you answer the high priest like that? And Jesus answered him, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, then why do you strike me? You see, Jesus always had the right word at the right moment. He didn't answer when it wasn't going to be fruitful, but when He did answer, it served a purpose. In verse 60, back in Mark, it says in the high priest, in that moment, He stood up in the midst of the Sanhedrin there. He gets to His feet and He asks Jesus saying, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But we're told in this part of their conversation, but Jesus kept silent. He answered nothing to that. And that irritated him. For him just to remain silent. He didn't have anything that he wanted to say in regard to that. Again, we're told the high priest asked him, saying, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, This one I'm going to answer. I'm going to answer this one. I am. If you could have been there and you would have been able to look and see the face of this high priest, you probably would have been able to see the, the veins bulging in his neck as Jesus just simply said those simple words, I am. And you will see, he adds to this, he even brings it further, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power. Notice that's capitalized and coming with the clouds of heaven. Whoa. That priest, that Sanhedrin, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying in those words. I am. And not only that, but I'm going to be seated, seated at the right hand of the power, and I'm coming back. Here's something else that they did wrong. This high priest, the Sanhedrin, 
they did this with a lead-in question. You're not to do that in a court of law, which was, it wasn't lawful for them to even do this, to ask him the question in the way that they're asking him. They wanted to hear his words. They wanted to hear him say what he said. They, in, in one sense, they were appalled at what he said. On the other hand, they were happy at what he had just said. Because this is what we need to condemn you. Jesus knew in that moment that he had sealed his fate. He knew just saying those words alone sealed his fate. He was ready. Jesus knew that He had come to this hour. He wasn't looking for a way out. He wasn't trying to reason with the Sanhedrin, trying to, to, try to find a reason to escape this trial. It was in the opportune time that He said, I am. You see, He was set on the cross. He knew what was before Him. He knew what the glory was going to be that was going to follow the cross when He was going to resurrect from the grave and He was going to ascend up from the Mount of Olives and be seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. That's where His sight was set. On this Passover night, the last lamb was going to be slain. He was just hours away from the cross right now. The last lamb for Israel was going to be slain. He was going to be offered up for the sins of the world on that cross. We read in Hebrews 12, verse 2, I read this last week, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy, that, that word is one to underline, the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame that it brought, and it, but having sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You see, it does us good to look to the cross. It does us good to consider what we're reading this morning. The hostility against Him all the mocking and all the things that were against Him, it does us good to consider those things in light of the life that you live, the temptations that you experience in life, the things that you have to struggle with, that I can look to the cross and look what He endured for me, that it might give me some hope, that it might do something in me. 
He says, he goes on to say, are you the, the Christ, the Son of the blessed? Jesus says, I am. I think that those words right there, as that high priest was standing on his feet, he takes and he, and he grabs hold of his garment and he rips it, rips it open in front of Jesus, in front of the Sanhedrin. It was a sign of blasphemy that he just tore his clothes and he said, what further need do we have of witnesses? We don't even need any more. This is enough. He tears his garment, that sign of blasphemy. He's angry. And not only him, but all that were in that room, all of the high priests, all of the, 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 the prestigious men that were sitting in there, the scribes, the religious leaders of Israel who were sitting there blinded. They couldn't see. And they were the ones that should have been able to see, but they couldn't. You see, if somebody chooses to be in unbelief, they will remain in unbelief. The nation of Israel today that is living in unbelief, those blinders remain over their eyes to this day. But we have a gracious Heavenly Father that is going to save a remnant of His people Israel in spite of themselves. Because He's faithful is why He will do that. There will come a point looking ahead, still future, where the blinders are going to be removed from a remnant of God's people and God is going to save them. This mock trial, verse 64, it says, you have heard the blasphemy. And, 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 it, and it was just a mock trial is all it was. But you all here have heard the blasphemy. And then he says to them, what do you think? In other words, he wanted them to agree with him. He wanted the rest of them to be on board with him. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. All of them. But he wanted to get them all on board. So what do you think of this? These words. This blasphemy. We agree with you, high priest. He's deserving of death. This mock trial that wasn't handled in the proper courtroom. It was done at night. It was done on a Jewish feast. They weren't going to wait 24 hours 
to give time that maybe you know they would extend mercy. They were ready to go. They were ready to turn him over. As a matter of fact, if they had the authority, they would have wanted to kill him there right then. But they were, had to show restraint. They had to turn him over to the proper authorities. They found no testimony that was worthy of death. They had to bring a lead in question to get him to make a statement so that they could condemn him with his own words of truth. The other false witnesses that were there, they also accused him. But even their own testimonies didn't agree. It was this desperate attempt of this high priest in the light of the evening as it was going on, that he came in with this lead-in question. I'll get him on this one. If he, if he said, you know, how he responds to this. I know that he claims to be. So here's Jesus standing alone in front of this, we might say, bloodthirsty men. He says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the power and coming with clouds of heaven. I love just reading that. And then, at that moment, there's a meltdown. Verse 65, Then some began to spit on Him to blindfold him, to beat him, and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. In Luke 22, again, they, it, it tells us they mock him. and they, you know, they, blind, they, they did all these things because really they were in a meltdown. But think about it. These are the religious leaders doing this. I mean, even to behave like that. To do that against any man. It was pretty amazing. And in the midst of that, and this is just the beginning of Jesus' trials, Mark jumps back to Peter. Mark brings it back now to Peter, who's down in the courtyard warming himself by the fire. First we read that Peter walked at a distance. That was his first problem. Like some of us maybe as Christians, keeping our distance from maybe those that are maybe too excited about Jesus. You know, I, I, I'm not getting that involved. You know, following the Lord at a distance in your walk, you feel like you're an outsider looking in. I, I, I don't know that I really want to be a part of that, like that. I, I, yes, I want to be a, yes, I want to go to heaven, but I keep my distance. It's not a good place to keep your distance. Get in there. Be a part of what God is doing. 
follow close to Jesus. Be right there at His side. Peter, though he was following, he was following at a distance. And then we read that Peter was in the enemy's courtyard. Had to come through a doorway, go into this courtyard of this high priest's house, and go sit with these Roman guards or whoever was all the... Go sit in there with the world, so to speak. Just warming himself by the fire. Blending in with the crowd. Have you ever been that way in your Christian walk? Kind of blending in. No one knows. They, they don't know I'm a Christian. You know, we, we blend in at work sometimes. We're different at church than at work. We, we blend in. And we're called to be different. We're called to be separated from this world. We're, we're called to come out from amongst them and be separate. It says in verse 66, Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. (laughs) But he denied it. That was the first denial. John's Gospel in 18.16 says, but Peter, we're told, he stood at the door outside. He came that evening and stood at the door outside, and then the other disciple who was known to the high priest, which I already read, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers who made a fire of coals stood there, for it was cold and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Just blend it in. Come on in. You want to? No, I'm not. And then still comes in and just stands there and blends in with the crowd. Verse 68, he denied it. Saying, not only did he deny he says, "I, I neither know nor understand what you're saying. And he went out on the porch and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them. And so first, he, he, Peter lies is what he's doing. It's first a lie. I don't even, I don't even know him. I don't understand what you're saying. Yes, he did. He was fearful. Have you ever been ripped off through fear? 
Has anyone ever asked you if you're a Christian? Whoever. They ask you you're a Christian? Yeah. That's even a denial sometimes. Just, just no, yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah, I'm a born-again Christian. I love the Lord. And yeah, I, I, I'm, you know, be out there with our faith. I don't even know Him. I don't even understand Him. You see, it tells us in Proverbs 29-25 that the fear of man brings a snare. It brings a trap. But those who put their trust in the Lord will be safe. It's all where we put our trust. Then his second denial, he perjures himself. He does that by making a false statement. Matthew 26, 72 says, But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. We learn, as I already said, great lessons in failure. I think as those words rolled off the lips of Peter, it had to hurt him inside. He knew what he was saying. He was in fear of what those that were around him, what could happen to him. But he was going to learn a great lesson because we know that our God was merciful to Peter. Was going to turn around and use him greatly in the future. Like he's done with us. Our failures that have been turned around into, into something that... God even uses your past and all your mess-ups to prove to this world that He's a God that can forgive. He can change a life. He did it in me. He can do it in you. Our Lord is so gracious towards us. But did you know that sin that is unconfessed, that it leads to greater sin? Have you ever been on one of those roads? You started out in this particular sin and then it compounded and it got worse and it turned into this and before you know it, it was just one big lie and there was, you know, I just, I let it go. I didn't get it right, right off. Unconfessed sin leading to greater sin. First he denies it and then he does it with an oath. Verse 7, he says, but he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean and your speech shows it. I can hear your accent. I know that you're from up in Galilee. You're one of those followers of Jesus, aren't you? I can tell. Verse 71, then he began to curse and to swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. Sin leading to greater sin. Multiplying, compounding itself. He begins to curse and to swear. Like, didn't you believe me the first time? I mean, i got to step it up so that they're not going to say, yes, you are. People try to do that, don't they, with cursing and swearing. 
make their statement be more, you know, if I just add some cuss words and they know what I mean, they know I mean it. The second time, verse 72, the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the words that Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he had thought about it, he wept. You see, sometimes we don't want to think about it. Sometimes we want to just chalk it off, our sin, our failures. We don't want to deal with it. It's easier for me just not, not even think, I don't even want to think about it. How I'm, what I'm doing or not doing. But it says that he thought about it. And it brought him to weep. You see, true repentance in our hearts should move us to something. It should move us to change. It should move us to want to go the other way. And it can even move us to weep. And we really should at times when we see our continual failure. God, would You help me? God, would You forgive me? God, would You empower me? I need Your Spirit. I need Your help. I'll surely fall away. God, I need You. You see, that's the heart that the Lord is looking for. Not one that's in pride that says, I don't want to think about it. As soon as you stop thinking about it, you don't want to come to church anymore either because when I'm around God's people, I have to think about it. I don't like it. As soon as they start worshiping, I don't like it either because I, 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 no, I don't like that. If you're a person that says, God, if there's any wicked way in me, show me. That's a good place to be. You see, it's the goodness of God that leads a person to repentance. If you find yourself in a trap of sin, compromise, whatever it might be, and you were to sit down before the Lord and to be able to just focus on the cross, focus on what He paid, the penalty He paid for your sin so that you might have life and live. And you think of how and what He did here, even in what we read, and we're only at the beginning of the trial. What was accomplished? Wait till we get to the cross. That it should bring us to repentance. Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Romans 2.4 If you're here this morning and you're in need of repentance, probably all of us might be. If you really sat and thought about your life, you'd probably find something that you would say, God, would you forgive me? It might have been coming into church today. Something you said. You never know. But God wants us to have hearts of repentance. 
And maybe you've been following at a distance for a while. And it's God's calling you back to walk close to Him. Maybe you've been shrinking back from man and fear. School, work, neighbors, family members, anybody. Shrinking back in fear. And God's calling you to make a stand for Him. Stand up. Next week, the trial is going to continue. It's going to be handed over to to Pilate. And it's not going to be any better. You see, he's, he's moving towards the cross. In verse chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Immediately in the morning. <laughs> the garden, you know, the Passover meal, the garden, Annas' house, Caiaphas, you know, and now in the morning. What a long night. The chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. They probably had it all written out. Here it is, Pilate. This man is worthy of death. Read ahead next week. Read the trial. See what Jesus did for you in that trial. It wasn't for him. It was for us. He did it for you as an individual. He died for you as an individual. He died for me as an individual. 